Welcome to Devotions in the Deep End. I'm Cam Buchanan from Mount Gambier, Australia, and this is my quest to teach the whole New Testament as deeply and helpfully as I can. So grab your Bible and a beverage of choice, and let's take a few intentional minutes together in the deep end. Welcome back to Devotions in the Deep End. Our passage for this episode is Luke chapter 12, verses 49 to 53. Let's read that now. I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and what constraint I am under until it is completed. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Now, this is considered by many to be a rather difficult passage to work through, and I would agree. The tone is certainly direct, and words used in this short teaching convey a harshness that makes some feel a little uneasy at what they are reading. However, if we take some time to examine the passage line by line, which we'll do in this episode, you'll soon see what Jesus is saying in all this, and that applying this passage to our lives in our day and age is most certainly called for and can actually be accomplished. Put simply, this is a passage about consuming forces and how Jesus wants us to interact with them. It begins with the consuming element of fire. Jesus states that he is bringing fire and is actively looking for a spark for it to grow from. The idea of fire in this passage, given his immediate audience, gives us four things to ponder. Judgment, purification, consummation, and hope. Purification by fire was a well-known thing to the Jews, with one example found in Isaiah chapter 6. In verses 5 to 7, we see the prophet stands before God and becomes deeply aware of his sinfulness. But we also see his lips being purged or cleansed by the Lord with a burning coal. For the church, there would be a purifying force as well, and this is promised in Matthew chapter 3 verse 11. We are told there that Jesus would bring a baptism of the Holy Spirit accompanied by fire. This would be evident in a believer's life when they showed boldness for witness and the ability to do a whole heap of miraculous and wondrous things through empowered, refined, and purified Christian living. The immediate audience also knew fire as an element of judgment, and Old Testament passages like Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 14 suggest this. When the nation was losing their way, God ordains Jeremiah to call them to account with these words. Therefore, this is what the Lord God Almighty says. Because the people have spoken these words, I will make my words in your mouth a fire, and these people the wood it consumes. The Jews also knew fire as a point to hope as well, which the ancient sacrificial system helped to facilitate. Leviticus chapter 2 verse 13 called for grain offerings, among others, to be salted before they were presented to the Lord, often interpreted as a symbol of the covenantal relationship between God and his people, a very hopeful position for them to be in. Salt was said to consummate an offering or bring it to a state of completion or perfection. Then on an altar, fire would consume it. The idea was that fire in all these instances would have a consuming force about it. 
any item being enveloped by fire would fully succumb to its force. In the fire of the Holy Spirit, this would be good. In purification, this would be good. In hopeful covenantal relationship, this would be good. But in judgment, this was not good. And the fire we would be consumed in would be up to us. As we keep on reading, we see that Jesus was hoping a bit of kindling was already going for this fire to take hold. When we consider the audience and the idea Jesus has in mind with the fire metaphor, we can see that this was a reasonable expectation. After all, Israel was God's set-apart people. The promise was made that out of the lineage of Abraham, the nations would be blessed. The world was supposed to know about the God of Israel, but over a couple of thousand years, the nation failed miserably at doing so. Their behavior as a nation became shameful over and over again, and their present first century expression of faith with its onerous legalism was further alienating the world around them from their God. As God's covenant people, consummated in salt and consumed in fire, Jesus came rightfully looking for a spark in that people for this fire that he brings to extend from. However, none would be found in Jesus' estimation. Thankfully, the promise of Matthew 3 became the event of Acts chapter 2, and Jesus did in fact start the fire again. But consider this. A fire was lit in the Old Testament through one patriarch, and 2,000 years later in Jesus' day, none was found. So, another fire was lit, and it's 2,000 years later now. How are you, and how is the church faring with that? The next consuming force we read about here is a baptism. The Greek word for this is baptizo, and this means to be fully overwhelmed. To get the idea, let's picture a floating toy in a bathtub. Now, picture it being pushed into the water for it to be fully immersed. In the ancient Greek wording of the New Testament, that is actually almost baptism. Now, picture the toy remaining under the water with enough time for that little hole in the bottom of the toy to take water in. And imagine it sinking as an eventual result of being overwhelmed in the water. That is baptism. In ancient Judaism, it wasn't uncommon for a newly converted Gentile believer to be baptized into the Jewish faith. A Jew was expected to be totally immersed and even overwhelmed in the whole Jewish living experience. So water baptism made a good symbolic gesture of that. The experience of the Holy Spirit that a believer receives is spoken of in Scripture as a baptism. My church tradition affirms a believer's baptism by full immersion, with the understanding that this is a public, symbolic display of the overwhelming that is going on inside through the Holy Spirit. But with all that said, the overwhelming baptism that Jesus was referring to here was in fact his death. Jesus would in fact be surrounded by and overwhelmed by human death, the ultimate consequence of mankind's sin. And this was affecting him in a massive way, the word in our passage being constrained. The Greek word there, suneko, means to hold together, compress, or arrest. The idea is that of being in the middle of a moving crowd and being powerless to escape it and being forced to move with it. Overwhelming human death was coming to Jesus, and he was distressed, knowing no other option or course of action was available and the burden would only lift when it was accomplished. In the Greek, this means after he had been discharged of his assignment. 
Consider the magnitude of God's plan of salvation as we consider all that. The scriptures explain that humankind sinned and missed that big time. Sin entered the world, and from Genesis 3 onwards, bloodshed became the norm to cover the shame of our actions. God chose a man to form a nation and made a promise, including a blood covenant, that God alone participated in. If you study Genesis 15, you will see the beauty of that event. This promise pointed to this nation being a blessing to the whole world, with Jesus being the completion of that promise. Abraham was that man. Israel was that nation and people. A fire had been started, a consummated people, consumed by God. Jesus came as promised, completing what had been called for from the beginning of mankind, his bloodshed perpetually covering the shame of the sin of the world. And he came looking for a fire, even a lightly kindled one that he could blow on and bring to life. Israel could celebrate the completed covenant and be that blessing to the nations. But no fire was found, not even embers. So he started a new one through the Holy Spirit. And now, as we consider the rest of this difficult passage, Jesus says things are going to be different and choices will need to be made. The Jews of the first century expected a Messiah to come and lead their nation to peace and glory. It was more a political mindset and less a spiritual one. A modern rabbi named David Rosen, who self-identifies as being of a modern Pharisaic bent, wrote a few years ago that the Jews still see their expected messianic time as such. The kingdom of God in their minds was still a temporal thing, hence their problems with thinking in eternal perspectives. It was all about land, power and rule. Sure, the nations would be blessed, they just had to come and do things their way for that to happen. In the face of this mindset in the first century, Jesus came stating that peace in that light was not on the table. In fact, following him would actually lead to further hostility. To the immediate audience, this was becoming a huge thing to consider. We read in John chapter 9 that it was about this time that the orders from Jerusalem was that anyone who believed in Jesus as the Messiah would be removed from their synagogues. We also know that believing in that culture wasn't just a case of ticking a census box, but going all in with their life and their convictions. To believe was a verb. To believe meant taking action. So a Jew in 30 AD who wanted to be a disciple of Jesus had to make a really tough choice, and Jesus wasn't making it easy for them to do so. He would identify with the sinfulness of mankind in the ultimate way. He would go all in and allow himself to be consumed by death itself. And it would consume him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 tells us that the one who knew no sin was made to be sin for us. The expectation would be that a disciple would then allow his entire being to be consumed by the risen Christ. Jesus came with fire so that every part of us could be purified and consumed in him. Our sin has already received its judgment and penalty, and His Holy Spirit should positively overwhelm us. But Jesus also came knowing that division would be an earthly outcome, not the sort of division that believers encounter in church life. That stuff is just not on. But the sort of division that sometimes requires us to answer the big challenge of us or Him. When it came to the claims of Jesus in 30 AD, a believer who walked into a synagogue anywhere near Jerusalem would be asked that very question, us or him. 
a believer who went to his family home was likely to encounter that question. It's an honor-shame society. This had huge ramifications, and the risk of being cut off was real. Us or him. As the church started getting outside Israel and north into Asia Minor, workers would show up and clock on and be presented with that very question. Us or him. The church in Smyrna went through that very issue pretty much en masse. New believers would leave pagan religions. They would need to refuse to pay annual homage to the Roman emperor. They would have family, employers, households, synagogues, and even the empire all reject them. But he who consumed them would carry them through. The church became an unstoppable force, despite the world around them apparently rejecting them. The fire that Jesus came with and started afresh continues to burn bright, and we are here today because that fire keeps burning. So much sacrifice from generations of consumed believers sits behind every person who comes to faith today. Jesus came with fire, but he also knew that fire would be needed because the pain of division would come with it. But that pain should be considered trivial when compared to the baptism of death that Jesus faced on our behalf. So let's reflect on this. There are three major enemies of the Western church. Covetousness, complacency, and consumerism. These have all been challenged in the last few episodes. If we are covetous, we need to understand that we will be held to account for the resource we were blessed with. If we are complacent, we need to understand that the master comes at a day we don't expect. So living more diligently is the order of the day. Consumerism is a big and increasing problem, not just in the church, but in the world as a whole. We are constantly looking out for the next big thing, the next level of entertainment, the latest trends, the constant thrill ride of life. Eldis Huxley, in his novel Island, offered this observation. If war, waste and moneylenders were abolished, you would collapse. And while you people are over-consuming, the rest of the world sinks more and more deeply into chronic disaster. Unfortunately, this mindset is often brought into the church, and the Christian faith is lived out subject to consumeristic rules, and the outcome is often disastrous. Instead, Christianity should be lived out in a truly consumed way. Jesus lived in such a way that human sin and death would consume him. That's the commitment he made to us, fulfilling the covenant God made 2,000 years prior. And now he calls for our commitment to him. Would his fire consume us the way he allowed death to consume him? He came with fire and comes looking for a spark. A spark of a person in pursuit of holiness and setting themselves apart. A spark of a believer who wants to know the work of the Holy Spirit. A spark of a person who would consider their old life judged and themselves raised to life in Jesus. A spark of passion. A spark of mission and a desire to bless the nations. A spark of something that if fanned would utterly consume us for the cause of the kingdom of God. In the West, that spark can be hard to find, but we must allow it to be fanned by Jesus. That commitment also calls us to be so consumed that if the question was asked in any or all settings, us or him, the answer would be the same without hesitation every single time. Thanks for tuning in. To learn more about this podcast and other ministries I'm involved in, go to my new website, www.ministryinthedeepend.com.au. 
You can also find me on Facebook, Instagram, and even YouTube. So please like, follow, subscribe, connect, and comment wherever you can. I look forward to catching up next time. See you then.